0: And happy anniversary from us to you, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. All eyes on NVIDIA. Shares of the chip giant erasing early losses now up strongly, about 10%. Revenue and profit coming in better than expected. And data center sales more than quintupled from a year ago. Did the company just silence all the skeptics? We'll debate that one. Plus, Bezos' billions, the Amazon founder, selling around 50 million shares of the e-commerce giant in just the last two weeks. Zuckerberg, Gates, also selling lately. Now, while these sales have been planned, could they trigger other insider moves? We'll break it down. What are the signals here? And later, our big short trader set to tell us where he's actually long in this market, what's behind his bullish bets right now we'll find out I'm Tyler Matheson in tonight for Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B here at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight Dan Nathan Guy Adami and Danny Moses founder of Moses Ventures. Welcome, one and all. And we start with that massive move in NVIDIA. You're going to hear that name a few times here. Bet the over on this one. Uh, Shares are surging after the chipmaker posted record revenue, a whopping 265% increase from last year. On the strength of its AI business, now the news sending shares of other chip makers like Supermicro and AMD much higher in after hours as well. The conference call for NVIDIA just started, and CNBC's Christina Parts and Evelis has the numbers and has been monitoring the call. Christina.
1: Well, the call just started, so I'm going to get on it as soon as we uh, finish this. But NVIDIA is surpassing expectations yet again. A lot of it, though, is driven by data center revenue. It's bread and butter, which grew 38% quarter over quarter to $18.4 billion large cloud providers represent now more than 50% of that data center revenue, with NVIDIA saying in their report that demand is growing among other verticals, including auto, financials, as well as healthcare services. All sectors, though, for NVIDIA, uh, revenue did beat. Auto is the only one declining year over year. But what's so impressive is gross margins coming in at 77% for the fourth quarter, which speaks to its pricing power. What's interesting, though, is NVIDIA was still able to grow data center revenue, even though the CFO commented in their in her statement stating that, quote, data center sales to China declined significantly in the fourth quarter due to U.S. government licensing requirements. She's never used the word significantly before. China contributes about 20% of total data center revenue. So it declined quite a bit. And the video, NVIDIA was still able to post a 38% quarter over quarter growth. Speaking to the strength and demand from other markets so once that news came that's when you started to see the stock really uh, switch gears in the press release jensen wong also saying that generative ai is at the tipping point implying increased demand still lies ahead and pretty much reassures confidence in this ai trade which is exactly what investors were looking for heading into this report uh, but you we knew the options market was pricing in 11 point swing what are we at 10 percent now
0: yeah, there you go. Ten percent, right on it. The company clearly hitting on all cylinders uh, in the most recent quarter and looking for uh, bright skies ahead. Christina, you'll keep us updated on any highlights from the call. We'll be back to you, I'm sure, several times. Let's uh, let's
2: kick this one around a little bit, shall we, Guy? Well, the gross margin stuck out to me. I think seventy-six percent, seventy-seven percent. So yeah. good for them. I mean, it's listen, great quarter. There's nothing not to like in terms of the quarter. Here's what I'll say, and people are going to at me on Twitter all night long. But <laughs> the you know the magnitude of the guides higher which they continue to do, become less and less. At a certain point, one has to wonder, you know, what's the right price to revenue? Right now, if this company is trading at $1.8 trillion, which is probably where it is at $740, you're talking about a company that's trading either side of 18 times revenue, which in this world is expensive. Now, people will say at this growth rate, they will grow into this valuation at some point. Maybe.
3: We'll see. But, you know, it is an expensive stock on that metric alone. Danny? If you uh, traded this valuation, you better beat and guide higher, which they did. Which they did. But at some point, this secular trade becomes cyclical. And I distinctly remember in 1999 and 2000 when fiber optic was the big craze. And, yes, there was a need for it, right? We were growing lasers and everything. But at some point, the secular trade becomes cyclical, and you can't maintain these margins over time. But for the stock to trade down like it did in the aftermarket quickly and trade back up, 1.6, 1.8 1.6, 1.8 trillion, I don't think it matters what the market cap is.
0: Can you, the, the, that's what we were talking earlier, can the law of large numbers
3: make the future harder for this company? For sure. At some point, the margins... It gets so heavy. Sure. It's a great company. They're in a great space. I would never short the stock at these levels. But let's see what happens. It's getting ready to be a pretty decent short. I tried doing it a couple times last year, and that did not work out (laughs) particularly well. I'm just,
4: you know, and again, I never thought we'd see the sort of magnitude or the consecutive magnitudes of the beats and raises that we did. And so, a quarter like this is clearly a great quarter. When I look at really what was expectations for the guide right here, you know, consensus was what for the current quarter that we're in about 22 billion dollars in revenue, okay, and about a little less than five dollars in earnings, and they guided to 24. So that's up nine percent, okay. in the court but some of the whisper estimates were the were the buy side this was in print these were like brokerage houses that i that talked to a a lot of these buy side accounts they were expecting maybe 24 to 25 billion so the guide came in below the whisper so when you look at this sort of price action in the aftermarket and this is obviously a massive stock Big pools of capital are not trading right now, okay? So we had this swing. So do you de- depart from what G- uh, Guy said a moment ago? There's nothing not to like in this report? No, there's nothing not to like other than expectations, right? So that like, we talked about this a little bit last night. So if you're um, a hedge fund, right, and you were expecting maybe a guide to 24 or 25 billion and they guided to, you know, maybe just about 24 billion, you're going to expect them to beat that if everything continues mm-hmm. to go. But are you buying the stock here right now? And I think not. So let's see how this stock trades. Where it opens, it's going to open up 10% most likely tomorrow. Uh, okay, shorts are probably covering in the aftermarket right now. Let's see if big money is going to come in and buy this stock. I think big money probably sells a little bit because of what guys started
3: out by saying. The magnitudes of the beat are getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that the stock price creates the narrative. To Dan's point, if the stock was down 10% right mm-hmm. now, it would be... Oh, they beat and got it up, but it wasn't enough. You didn't get enough, but because it's up, so the difference in a 1.5 or six trillion and 1.7 or eight trillion market cap here to me is meaningless. I know it's a lot of three or four hundred billion dollars. It's a lot, but. To me, it's just the narrative.
0: So, as, are we talking about that law of large numbers when you said the the the, the magnitude of the gains is slowing a little bit?
3: Well, that, but it is that's
2: just factually true. Yeah. I mean, the magnitudes of the gains are slowing. I mean, it was three quarters ago. Now, I think they went from a seven point eight billion to an eleven and change billion dollar guide. I mean, you can do the math. So, yes, in percentage terms, the magnitudes are slowing. The question, I guess you have to ask yourself, in this sector, which is a highly cyclical, at least historically, you know, at 19 times-ish revenue, 18, let's just call it 18, that's historically an extraordinarily rich valuation. Now, the people out there will say, you know what, guy, what you're missing is they're going to grow into this. The TAM, the Total addressable Market, is such that they can grow into this very easily. That might be true, but you know what else is coming down the pike? Competition as well. So you see 77% gross margins. A year from now, are we talking about the same gross margins or are we talking about competition coming into space and those margins contracting? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself instead of just, I would say, just blindly saying this is a secular story that's going to last forever. Off to the moon
0: remind me where this stock was a week ago
2: was it in the high seven seven twenty five seven thirty I think in the after hours today it traded it down to six forty I think if we open here I don't know what here is right now but it's we're effectively at an all-time high so yeah I mean we've done a bit of a round-trip here yeah you've, you've, you've come back recouped what was lost from the, the yeah. last week and, and the all-time high was seven forty six just the other day I mean, okay. you know
4: on Friday afternoon and, and listen I'll just say this guy just mentioned competition we know that it's coming that's one of the reasons why AMD has doubled over the last kind of four or five months or so. This is a company that has 53% gross margins compared to the 77 that just printed. If they have a product that's almost as good okay, as these high-end GPUs that, um, you know, basically NVIDIA, Nvidia has 90% market share right now, how do they compete? They compete on price, right? And we know that a lot of their customers, NVIDIA's customers, okay, it's Microsoft, it's at Google, it's Amazon, and it's Meta, make up 40% of their sales. At some point, you know, we talked about this last night, every day we see a new story how Microsoft wants to diversify away, right? From this reliance that they have on NVIDIA and AMD is going to start competing on price and then NVIDIA is going to like start lowering their price. Then the supply demand dynamics, okay, like the supply constraints that they keep talking about are going to ease up a little bit. They may end up having a glut, okay, and then this becomes a bit more cyclical and then the margins come down and people will start anticipating this before it's confirmed in a quarterly report, that sort of thing. So I don't mean to like rain on this parade. It's a great story. I know a lot of folks believe that this is going to be a thing that goes on for years. Years and years and years. And I'll just tell you, at every near, you know what I mean, secular top, as these companies or these kind of things are shifting a little bit, that's exactly what people are saying. Does this stock? Before we go to uh, Chris
0: Rowland in just a moment, does this stock remind you of any other stock performance that you've seen in your career or in history? That yes, there was of?
3: one stock, JDS Uniphase, uh, back in '99, mm. 2000. I remember
0: their name. Yeah. Yes,
3: and it was good company growth, and it, eventually, what happened was people realized that you could take all the fiber that was going to be used; it'll wrap around the world a hundred times. That the tam was so was too big; it didn't work. The math didn't work. I don't think we're at that here, but I remember distinctly that was the stock that stopped going up on a beat in a guide higher, I think because of the incremental buyer. There was no incremental buyer left of the stock. Maybe not of the product, but of the stock. So that one always sticks in my head from that yeah, time.
0: Very to. very interesting. I, I remember that name well. Right, let's bring in uh, Susquehanna senior equity strategist, strategist Chris Rowland. Chris, welcome. Good to have you with
5: us. Thanks, Tyler.
0: Are you in the Adami camp that says there's nothing not to like in this report?
5: It was solid, it was right down the middle. I think somebody referenced some buy-side surveys. We were in the exact same place. We were thinking they needed 24, 24 and a half on the guide. And so they were right there, dialed in. Right on the the button there.
0: Is there any rain, uh, to to pick up on uh, Dan's, Dan's metaphor there, is there any rain on this
5: parade that you can see? I mean, if you really want a nitpick, you can get into Opex being uh, a little higher than we had thought. But you know, this is AI. I'd rather they overspend than underspend, and they are doing so.
0: Your price target is now what on this stock?
5: Uh, I think we're at eight fifty.
0: At eight fifty, and it's a it's a lot closer to eight fifty now than it was three hours ago, right? <laughs> so you probably true. Could.
5: But again. But again, Tyler, this is right down the middle. We would have expected a little bit more of a flat stock here. Maybe mm-hmm. give them a little bit for gross margin, but 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 that's probably it. So uh, we, we think it could be muted from here.
0: A little bit muted from here. What does that
4: mean in practice? A muted
5: reaction from here.
4: I see. Uh, I see.
5: Yeah, Overall.
4: Any questions? Yeah. So, Chris, let's talk about those buy side expectations and whisper numbers. And I think some of our viewers who are probably not as in tune with this. Right. So you have the consensus estimates um, that, you know, is basically compiling all the analysts like yourself and what their estimates are for a quarter or for um, whatever metric. Right. And then you have the buy side, the the people who are the holders of the stocks or sometimes, uh, you know, on the hedge fund side of things who might be short of the stock. And they have their own expectations. Right. Which are usually different from that of the consensus estimates. Where do you think consensus for the whisper, were like, like you just mentioned, the revenue, it was about 24 to 25. I kept on seeing that from different brokerage houses. So that's why I'm in your camp. I'm surprised to see the stock up 9, 10% in the aftermarket, given the fact that they just came in in line with what the whisper was.
5: There was uh, some commentary around continued supply constraints. Uh, that uh, collect Crest, the CFO just mentioned on the call. It's unclear whether that's over their existing Hopper generation or the next upcoming B100. But if that is true, even though demand is uh, supply is improving, if there are still constraints, that means we may still have some upside until we reach cruising altitude. And it's really the cruising altitude of these revenues versus buy side expectations, which I still think are probably one to two billion a quarter above sell side expectations that matter.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the the thing that Dan mentioned and and Guy as well, and that is competition. What is the the competitive risk that this company faces if it does?
5: Yeah, I do not think this is a commodity product. Uh, I know as mentioned, they may be fighting on price. I do not think they are going to be fighting on price. This is a highly tuned piece of hardware married with a software ecosystem for AI that's been built over the past 20 years since CUDA was born. And uh, and that's not something you know that's that's a commodity. So yep. um, the hardware, you know, AMD has a really nice piece of hardware coming. They don't yet have that software ecosystem, they don't have the heritage, and it's gonna take you know, as long as half a decade to put a real, real dent into what, what is pretty much an NVIDIA monopoly here.
0: Walk me through the, the, the China issue that this, this company faces with uh, export controls and so on and so forth.
5: Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, you can't ship leading edge technologies to China, you can't ship, Uh, technologies that uh, surpass a a certain computing threshold, and almost all of NVIDIA's products that aren't gaming products do exactly that. So uh, they're cut off.
0: So they're cut off from that. What if that were to change in some material way? What what could that mean on the upside for for NVIDIA?
5: They've previously talked about China being 20 to even 25% of data center revenue for them. Uh, So this is an adder on top. Uh, Again, they continue to be supply constrained, so they don't need that right now. But if they had that supply available, they could potentially upside revenue.
0: Chris, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate your insights. Thanks, guys. Chris Roland of
2: Susquehanna. Any trades we want to get off our chest? Here? Well, huge moat, right? Totally get it. But look at super micro So that stock's probably got back everything it lost today. With that said, and our crack staff and EC can probably pull this up, I think they just talked about a billion and a half dollar convertible note due in 29 that they just issued. So, you know, it's interesting to see what's going on out there. You know, you take all this, and I get it. It's a secular growth story. Everybody loves it. Everybody's gotten rich on the back of it. At a certain point, though, certain valuations absolutely matter. As much as we'd like to think it's different this time, as Danny said earlier, it's probably not as different as people think.
3: All right. Any final thought here? It's really smart for companies in the sector, any sector, when their stock prices are elevated to raise capital. I think that's a smart move. But I want to say one thing for people out there that they understand how sell-side research works. You have two choices. You can raise your price target if you're a sell-side analyst, or you can downgrade the stock, right? And so nobody wants to downgrade the stock on the sell-side right now on NVIDIA because it's too great. You have tons of momentum around it, but what is the validation for continuing to raise your target on a metric Potentially, what is a multiple revenue is a future earnings discounted back that's what I'm going to be looking for
0: all right let's uh, leave it there but not for the but for the last time this hour we'll come back to Nvidia as uh, Christina monitors the conference call there meantime stocks are staged we're staging a late-day rally today with the S&P and Dow managing to end the day in the green and eke out small gains as you see there uh, then the Nasdaq did post a third straight day of losses but finished well off its lows of the session down just a third of a percent meanwhile Treasury yields were high. After this afternoon's 20-year bond auction saw weaker demand uh, than hoped for, the 30-year touching 4.5 percent at its highs, while the 10-year rose back above 4.3 percent, as you see right now. There, RATES MAINTAINED THEIR GAINS AFTER MINUTES FROM THE LATEST FEDERAL RESERVE MEETING SHOWED CENTRAL BANK OFFICIALS HAVE EXPRESSED CAUTION ABOUT LOWERING RATES TOO QUICKLY.
6: LET'S GET TO STEVE LEISMAN TO WRAP IT ALL UP FOR US. HI, STEVE. HEY, TYLER. YEAH, MINUTES TO THAT uh, FED JANUARY MEETING show MOST OFFICIALS STILL HIGHLY CONCERNED ABOUT INFLATION worried about cutting rates too quickly, and this was weeks before that upside inflation surprise in the January CPI data. The minute showed officials emphasizing the risks of cutting rates too quickly and concerned that inflation progress could stall, and also seeing an upside inflation risk around every corner in strong demand, in loosening financial conditions, and even in geopolitical risk. Only a handful of committee members, if that, showed much concern at all with a recession, and that brought some criticism from Wall Street. Oxford Economics writing, the odds of a policy error appear higher following the minutes. There is significant disinflation in the pipeline If the central bank waits for clear signs that the labor market or the broader economy is deteriorating. It will be behind the curve. The chance of a May rate cut now trading at the lowest probability of the year, just 30 percent, with more confident bets now centered on June and July for that first rate cut. If the Fed was this hawkish before that poor January inflation data, there's little doubt their positions have hardened from here. While many Fed speakers note considerable inflation progress, it doesn't seem to motivate them to, to take any action in response.
0: It would seem, Steve, that the higher for longer narrative is well entrenched at the Fed and, and maybe increasingly in the, in the eyes of economists and market watchers.
6: Yeah, Tyler, there is a weird thing going on right now where more and more I read people saying that the data we got in January was anomalous, that it was just one-time price increases that weren't picked up by seasonal adjustments, and yet they're changing their outlook for the Fed based on data that they don't think should change the Fed's outlook. Yeah.
2: Steve, the 20-year auction today wasn't particularly good. I think the bid to cover, the dealers got stuck with the most since May of 21, three basis points high. I mean, not a lot to like here. My question to you, I guess, is how closely, if at all, does the Fed watch bond auctions
6: like this? I think they're watching them. I think they watch them in the first instance for systemic risk. In other words, is there going to be a bond market failure? I think 20s are always a little difficult because, you know, it's sort of an odd man out kind of tenor right there. It's not the favorite tenor. It's not a 10. It's not a 30. You can't really draw too many conclusions. Um, And also, it's worth pointing out that when these things have done poorly, Rates have declined afterwards, and so it hasn't really been that big a loss for those who are caught holding the bag, so to to speak, on these bad auctions. If that does not happen to be the case in the future, that's when you might have more risk in these longer-term bonds. Uh, But one bad auction, when the government seems to have done a pretty good job placing the paper so far, I don't think uh, is going to ring too many alarm bells at the Fed.
4: Hey, Steve, um, you know, I know you're more of a Fed watcher than a market watcher, a stock market watcher, but, you know, the last time the 10 year was at 431. It was the first days of December, and it was on its way to 3.8, okay? And, and. I just think about this from the stock market perspective. A lot of the juice that the stock market got um, after that period really came from this notion that the Fed was going to be pretty much lowering interest rates maybe five or six times in 2024. Are you surprised that the S&P just below or in and around 5000 right now is not reacting a bit more negatively to the fact that rates seem to have an upward bend to them?
6: Dan, you stole my only meaningful comment at the end of your your remark right there, which is that I have been surprised at how strong the market has remained. I think that's ultimately a good sign underlying the stock market. You're right. I have almost no expertise at all other than watching it for what the economic impact is of what's going on in the stock market and what people think about the earnings ahead. It's interesting to me economically, but I do watch the fixed income market every day. I watch how the bond market reacts to or how the stock market reacts to it. They have traded uh, together and they've traded apart over this last several months, um, and I have been really surprised, and I, I don't hear, I don't know, Dan, if you want to kick it back to me, but I don't hear people talking about that, that the market has withstood this run-up in rates, and to me, that's a sign of underlying strength.
4: Yeah, I think your point is a really good one. I mean, it really is coming into the year. Well, it was expect- your point. Well, yeah, but I I mean, I can't tell myself what a great point I made. Thank you, though. Um, But, you know, the expectation that we were going to have, let's say, 10 percent earnings growth in the S&P 500, everything that you just laid out right right, in in the beginning of this is is basically saying, well, maybe the economy is that much stronger than a lot of people expected going into the second year in a row. And that is the thing that's caused upward pressure to stocks.
6: I I, I think one thing that we're watching here and and you guys know this better than I am. This is something I'm watching economically, which is how well do companies maintain margin in what looks to be a disinflationary period to me the story inside the earnings is that inflation has come down but margins have not been the big player in that declining inflation it looks to me like generally those higher margins that companies achieved in the inflationary period a big chunk of it looks to be remaining right there we'll see if it gets competed away but right now that does not seem to be the case Steve, you made a great point. Dan, you made an even better point. Thank you, guys. We
0: appreciate it. Uh, Thanks very much, Steve. Uh, Danny, any final thoughts here on on, uh, the Fed minutes and rates? What's the market telling, what the bond market's telling us?
3: Yeah, so this higher for longer narrative self-fulfills wider credit spreads over time, and that that does the Fed's job for it. So to think there's going to be a rate hike, I don't think that's going to happen. And I do believe if and when the Fed does start begin cutting, it will be aggressive because of the reason they're going to start cutting things are really slowing down potentially so
0: does the fed have to do its cutting what cutting it does in 2024 before the election
3: i don't really believe him matter? to his word on 60 minutes that that's not what he's thinking about so i'm going to stand with that but no i don't think that should be a factor at all in it. Maybe, I'm, what gonna maybe I'm cynical not thinking that way, but I really believe that he's just going to yeah. follow the course here.
0: All right, coming up, it's not just NVIDIA on the move. Plenty of other after-hours action to bring you in shares of Marathon Oil and APA Corp on the move as EV makers stall out. Rivian getting hit hard, down more than 13%. The numbers out of all those quarters are coming up. And the inside scoop on some insider selling, what the latest C-suite sales tell us about where the market is valued. Don't go anywhere because more fast is coming right at you. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Bigger Energy Names reporting earnings in the last hour. Marathon Oil and APA, formerly known as Apache. The stock's moving in opposite directions, though APA had been down more than 3% at its lows. Both companies' conference calls are tomorrow. Pippa Stevens joins us now with more. A tale of two companies here. Pippa?
7: That's right, Tyler. Well, APA is under pressure following those results, with production in the North Sea down 18% year over year. Now, the company reiterating its commitment to shareholder payouts saying it returned to 66 percent of free cash flow to shareholders in 2023. Looking forward, APA sees flat total production growth. Oil output is forecast to rise about 8 percent, but that will be partially offset by softer natural gas liquids. On the call, investors will be listening for an update on the Cal Petroleum acquisition, as well as any price forecast for Nat gas after that commodity's big tumble. Marathon Oil, though, topping estimates while also reiterating its payout of more than 12 percent of its market cap. Production did decline slightly, with average realized prices also falling 77.28 per barrel of crude for the period, down from 84 29 in 2022, with unit costs also rising quarter over, co- or quarter over quarter. The company outlined a CapEx plan of $1.9 to $2.1 billion for 2024 and expects production, Tyler, to be flat. Back to you. All right.
2: Pippa, thank you very much. Uh, Guy, what do you think? Pippa kills it, by the way. It's great that she's on board. No, it's interesting. You mentioned tail two cities. Well, in energy, that's absolutely the case. I mean, APA has not been good, probably in large part or in not small part due to natural gas, which has been a disaster. Marathon Oil as well. I mean, both those stocks sort of slogging along. The flip side of that coin is names like Marathon Petroleum, MPC Corp. Look at that. I mean, that stock's effectively at an all-time high. PSX as well. So When you're in energy, and this is important, I think you have to really understand what the components of a lot of these companies are. I'll say this, and I'm sure Danny agrees. The big cap integrated names, Exxon, Chevron, Conoco, they're all just too cheap right here in this environment, given a broader market that's probably trading 21 times. And you have
3: some of these energy stocks, some of them at half the valuation of a broader market. Dan- yeah, it's looking. You've got to look at energy. if have to stock pick a guy's point. It's, you can't just say buy energy in general. But if you look at the sector, it, the weight now in the S&P, I think, is down to 5 percent or something. I think just a couple years ago it was 15. I'm not saying it gets back there, but I think they are defensive in nature. The cash returns that are going on, the dividends, the buybacks, the mergers and acquisitions which are occurring, and kind of the move away from ESG. We saw a big announcement from J.P. Morgan, BlackRock and State Street, kind of we're going to do our own thing. I think JP Morgan's probably sick of missing out on some of those M&A deals that are out there. So these companies now are, these are great deals. And so I think whether these deals close or not, the Exxon Pioneer, the Chevron Hess, I think you can own them all.
0: And we got another deal to tell you about here. Cord Energy to buy Plus for about $11 billion in stock and cash. Just according to Bloomberg, Plus is up after RZ, two companies I don't know much about. Uh, but don't look over this way necessarily. Don't look, don't look over this way. Been. Anybody ever thought? Well, of, no. I mean, quickly, I mean, the thought just a is, lot of I mean, deals, deals
2: in this, space. a lot of deals in this space. That's on top of you know, Warren Buffett now owns 37 percent of Occidental Petroleum. If it'd been any other sector, when he makes announcements like this, those stocks go parabolic. This is the stock, pulp and oxy chart over the last five years, just going absolutely nowhere. Yeah. But yeah. clearly, there are people that see value in a space. That a lot of people have sort of left on the side of the road because of names like Nvidia. You know, if Nvidia's gonna go up four, five, 8% in a day, why own energy stocks that might grind along, you know, half a percent over a week when it can own some of the high flyers? But ever a rotation out of technology, it's gonna find its way into energy very interesting all right coming up the earnings keep rolling in shares of rivian tanking after their results those
0: numbers plus lucid and etsy as well and a look at some recent insider selling the execs offloading shares who are they and why our next guest says one of these moves could be cause for concern the details are ahead you're watching fast money live from the nasdaq market site in times square we'll be right back after this All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Stocks staging a late-day rally, closing near their highs of the day. The Dow gaining about 50 points after being down as much as 225. It was a one-tenth of one percent gain there. The S&P 500 up about a tenth of a percent too, and the Nasdaq notching, however, a third straight day of losses, down about three-tenths of a percent. That, however, still well off the lows of the session. And a few names trading at all-time highs to tell you about. J.P. Morgan, Toll Brothers, Diamondback Energy, all in the green, hitting record levels during the session today. Shares of Royal Caribbean jumping after hours. The company increasing 2024 guidance on accelerating demand in cruising. And another after hours mover, shares of Etsy dropping after reporting a miss on earnings but posting a revenue beat. The company also saying gross merchandise sales for the current quarter would decline in the low single digits. Any thoughts here, Dan, on J.P. Morgan?
4: Yeah, it's pretty astounding when you think about um, the banks had a tough time when rates were going higher, right, for that whole period, and it was a net interest margin thing, and then we saw a bunch of issues as it relates to their mark-to-market held to maturity portfolios last year, right? So now the fact that we have rates moving higher, um, we I, I guess the market is basically saying J.P. Morgan has no problems. They gobbled up all the smaller regionals that had some problems a year ago at this time, right? But then if you juxtapose it to, like, a Bank of America, which is still down 35% from its highs about two years ago, you know, in the start of 2022. It's pretty astounding here. They don't seem to have any problems whether rates are high or low or anywhere in between. The juggernaut
0: in banking. All right, coming up, folks, a look. It is a massive recent sales from insiders at Amazon and Meta, and you know who those CEOs or former CEOs are, and what the most could say about stocks and the markets. That's next. And some EV earnings around the corner. Shares of Rivian stalling out, down nearly 15% after reporting, uh, report, reporting profits today or losses. Lucid lower as well. The quarterly numbers when fast money returns, we're back in two.
2: I have offended guys. No, can uh, he, I mean, we got a, we got a couple minutes. No. We're, we're talking about Billy Joel yeah, songs. Yeah, And I said Billy Joel has as many good songs as he has horrible songs. Yeah. And then you and said one. We Didn't Start it the ruined. Fire is a top five worst song. Not Billy Joel, in the history of mankind. <laughs> wow. And Billy's a fan of the show. I'm sorry, but wow. he knows it's lousy. Wow. Sorry. I, I,
0: I beg to differ. Anyhow, well. what's the one where he had to tell that riff? Uh,
3: That's that, that one. Is that that one? Yeah,
0: that's that one. That's why I like it. It's lyrically, it's clever, man. Yeah, well. All right, let's get back to business here. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are getting some headlines off the NVIDIA conference call that are moving the stock. Let's check back in with Christina uh, for the details. Hi, Christina.
1: Hi, Tyler. Sorry to break the party. Let's talk about NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong saying, quote, right now on the call, fundamentally, the conditions are excellent for continued growth. Calendar 2025 to and beyond, he says he also expects what is being experienced in the United States will, quote, surely be replicated around the globe. NVIDIA's CFO was also on the call confirming their product roadmap is on track, saying their H200 ship, which is the next one, is on track to ship in the second quarter of this year. They're saying supply is improving across the board, but the CFO and CEO both warning that we can expect or they can expect their next generation products to be supply constraints as demand exceeds supply. So this would imply the B100 AI chip that's supposed to be launched in March. So that I'm interpreting that as you can get the H100, the H200, just know those are like the previous generations, but be warned the B100 may take a, a little bit longer to get once you sign up for that. As for China, demand decline with NVIDIA saying they have not received licenses to ship restricted products to China, but they have started shipping alternatives that don't require a license. So we know in Q4, data center revenue was hit big time by, uh, by China weakness, and yet you still saw that 38% sequential growth. So uh, the call is still underway. It's in my other ear right now, so I'm listening in on that. Uh, but I'll send it back to you guys.
0: Fantastic, and I'll be patient about my B100s. I won't get too uh, worried about it. All right, meantime, <laughs> mega cap insiders uh, making some massive sales recently. Jeff Bezos offloading about 50 million Amazon shares in just the past few weeks, and insiders at Meta and Microsoft also shedding shares say that five times fast. <laughs> these sales are largely planned, but they could, could they trigger cause for concern for a closer look inside the world of insider selling? Let's bring in Ben Silverman. He's the VP of research at Verity and a host of insider data podcast, Differentiated. Ben, do these moves raise any red flags for you or does one raise more red flags than another? And if so, why?
8: Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Yeah. So one of the moves does, and that's meta, What's interesting there is Mark Zuckerberg had been selling daily since the beginning of November of last year. Then the stock gapped higher to uh, over $460 earlier this month, and we suddenly saw an acceleration in that selling. So that type of behavior is a red flag. It makes us actually cautious about Meta's valuation because he's doing these daily pattern sales, and then he suddenly goes off pattern and just dramatically accelerates the number of shares he's selling. So that's the type of valuation-oriented selling that we're looking for.
0: If I am trying to use uh, seller or buy, insider buyer data, am I on firmer ground uh, watching the buys than I am watching the sells? Um, it, it's both. So, from a macro perspective, insiders are
8: really good buyers. We've seen them buy, you know, the dips and the big events over the last twenty years whether it be the great financial crisis, the banking uh, crisis 2016, or the COVID pandemic. As sellers, they're not as predictive as a group because what's you know, we went through a decade-long bull market and there was a ton of insiders selling. So you have to break it down to the company-specific level and you have to start looking at who is doing price-oriented selling. If you're selling all the time, what you're looking for is deviations in selling behavior. You're looking for unusual uh, types of behavior overall. You're looking for this valuation-oriented selling. So Jeff Bezos sells 50 million shares, but he doesn't do any type of price triggers embedded in his Rule 10 b one plan. What he's just doing is he's selling the stock over a few-day period, and he's done that over and
0: over for years and years. So, Ben, what can I infer— if anything about the market's direction from the fact as you report that the ratio of sellers to buyers right now is 3.98 that is much higher than the historic ratio of 2.7 is that in itself an alarming sign
8: so right now that ratio is putting putting insiders on the edge of our radar We've got about a month left um, before insider trading windows close for the quarter. So we've got a month to see what insiders are going to do. As, as we know, it's still earnings season, right? We're still seeing, you know, a lot of companies report earnings. And so over the next month, it's going to be really crucial for investors to drill down on the stocks they care about, the individual companies, and see what insiders are doing. Because as the quarter draws to a close, that's when we really start to get that tell. So right now, The insider selling is on the edge of our radar, and it's either going to move off the radar because maybe we get more buying, maybe we get an even out of the selling, or it's going to move closer to the middle of our radar and start raising more red
0: flags. All right, Ben, thank you very much. Ben Silverman, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Guy, you flag something. Yeah, it's
2: not listen, it's not a market timing device by any stretch of the imagination, but when the ratio gets to levels like we're seeing now, it should raise a little bit of a red flag. You know, you can say, you know what, it's fine, they're selling stock, they're entitled to do so. A lot of these things have been planned. I get it. We're not suggesting they're doing anything wrong. But when the smartest people in the world are selling to the magnitude that we're seeing now, you have to take notice. You might say, you know what, good for them, I'm gonna buy what they're selling. But a lot of people would say maybe this is indication that they think the market's getting a little bit ahead of itself. All right. Very
0: interesting. We'll come back to this one, I'm sure. Coming up, meantime, after hours, EV action. Shares of Rivian and Lucid Motors getting crushed after reporting results. So we will kick the tires on the EV trade next. Plus, from big short to big long, the sectors and stocks Danny Moses thinks could hit the jackpot. Moses will lead us to the promised land. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage. Here's the VP of Corporate Social Responsibility and DEI at JetBlue. Our contributions
8: to the world are significant and you don't know where you're going unless you can look back and see where you come from. And so celebrating Black History Month allows everybody to understand, celebrate, and recognize the rich contributions that African Americans have made in the United States, but that black
7: people in general have made to the world.
0: folks. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Rivian and Lucid Motors. The EV makers falling hard after hours. Rivian cutting jobs, seeing production below estimates. Phil LeBeau has been monitoring uh, these companies and has all the details. Hey, Phil.
9: Yeah, the Rivian call is going on right now, Tyler, and this is really one of those gut check earnings reports or financials there's no earnings here because they did post a loss of a buck 36 a share versus the street expecting a loss of a buck 32 revenue did come in better than expected and then the net loss for the fourth quarter an improvement compared to the fourth quarter of 2022 but the guidance is not good they talk about cancellations uh, impacting the fact that they are going to be making some adjustments here an adjusted loss of 2.7 billion expected this year they do expect to get to a modest gross profit in Q4 but this is the killer production of just 57,000 vehicles this year. I should tell you that last year they built just over 57,000 vehicles. So you're correct here in saying, wait a second, there's no improvement in terms of production? What about deliveries? The street went into today expecting deliveries for 2024 to come in about 66,000. That's not gonna be anywhere close to that. They delivered just over 50,000 vehicles uh, in uh, 2023. So what you're looking at here is RJ Scaringe, CEO of Rivian, doing a lot of explaining to analysts in terms of, yeah, they're making some production adjustments uh, in the second quarter. People knew about that. But uh, this is, again, a gut check earnings report from Rivian. We're going to be talking with RJ Skringe tomorrow morning. You do not want to miss what he has to say. An exclusive on Squawk Box will no doubt be talking about the production guidance for 2024. Now let's talk about Lucid real quick. Also under pressure, Another similar situation where the company is saying, you know what, we're going to be building 9,000 vehicles this year. That's our guidance. And I talked to Peter Rawlinson, the CEO, and he's optimistic that they will be able to make some adjustments here. The street was expecting 14,000 vehicles in terms of production this year. That's why the stock is under pressure. They do expect to start building the Gravity SUV in the fourth quarter, and they have announced a high-volume, mid-size vehicle coming in 2026. That said, Tyler... If you were long on either of these EV startups, you're licking your wounds today because these were not good reports and and the guidance is not good from either company.
0: All right, Phil, thank you very much. Uh, Dan, Rivian is in your acronym for 2024, ZEBRA. That would be R for Rivian. uh,
4: Yeah, and I disagree with that last bit. Uh, You know, like, listen, if you're along of these things coming in, you realize this is going to be a tough road to hoe. And they have a lot of cash, and they're going to be able to make it both of these companies over the next couple of years. I think uh, Rivian has 70% of their market cap in cash. Lucid has about half. I'd be more worried about tesla because if this is reflective of an ev winter if the demand is really falling off the way that the aftermarket prices in tesla have been cut in half over the last year and it's causing downward pressure on the whole space and there's not a lot of demand i'd be worried about that one with the market cap that they have not the little one here here.
3: we were just talking about how secular stories become cyclical you're seeing that in real time in the electric vehicle space and when you look at the market cap of byd which is 75 billion which is going to produce or sell three million cars Tesla 600000000000 billion, they're going to do $2 million, and they're moving in their backyard for luxury. something to watch out for. All
0: right, sure. got to leave it there. Uh, coming up, he's in it for the long haul. Danny laying out some of his favorite long ideas in the market right now where he's placing his bets and finding value. Yes, those are the clues. Next, more Fast Money in two minutes. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. You may be known for the big short, but Danny Moses sees a number of opportunities for long positions in the market right now. So let's get right to it. Danny, let's start with uh, why you like online gambling
3: stocks. I've liked it for a while on the heels of Apple launching their sports app today, right? Just everyone's moving into media, entertainment, sports and gambling. It's all kind of converging here. DraftKings has obviously had a breakout kind of year, pulled back a little bit here recently. Um, The quarter was really good, with the exception of bad luck that they had, meaning people were winning. To me, if you're a bookie, you always end up winning, so you want to take that. Jurisdictions are opening up. Uh, Numbers are free cash flow positive. So flutter in that space, FLUT, and DraftKings DK. NG are probably my two favorite names. And you got States.
0: California and Texas potentially. Exactly, jurisdictions up.
3: and a huge source of tax revenue and something to watch. State of Illinois is proposing a 35% tax now from 15. So those are things you need to watch, but certainly a growth industry. Let's uh, move on to gold. Yeah, gold to me is a great hedge against all the geopolitical risk that's out there. It's a hedge against a mistake by the Fed or Treasury. So I'm long gold here, I know it's kind of flat, it may not be that exciting, but flat to me in this environment where we've had a rip up in inflation, says a lot about how stable it is. And finally, Walmart. Yeah, Walmart, um, I've liked for a while, a great capital return story, not overly cheap here, 24, 25 times earnings, just increased the dividend, which is the new great trade out there, a huge buyback in place, and they are getting the down trade from the consumer into their food right they're buying their food so they went either way food prices keep coming up they that, get they get a consumer a if food prices come down they get more wallet share comes in the store and i would say that the mobile business is accelerating and the e-commerce business just topped 100 billion quick thought
4: yeah you know he's been all over the DraftKings um for a while now and i like that one i probably want to wait a little bit for a pullback but that's where you want to reload
0: all right guys we're gonna take a break up next final trades we'll be right back Let's give you one more check on NVIDIA after those very good numbers and solid guidance. 723, up $49 a share or 7%. A little bit off the earlier highs uh, in our after-hours trade, but but uh, a good performance nonetheless. All right, let's uh, move on to our final trades and go
4: around the horn. Danny, we begin with you.
3: Long ExxonMobil, XOM. ExxonMobil. Dan, what do you say?
4: Yeah, Rivian's likely to trade Nvidia. at an all-time low. I'd probably look at it there. And, and NVIDIA I would not be buying it. I think it's going to be red right on the day tomorrow. You you know, I I love Danny
2: Moses. I love the actor in the big short, but I got to tell you, Jeremy Strong's portrayal of the very handsome Vincent Daniel sticks out to me. Uh, Lockheed Martin, Tyler, and thanks for playing our home game.
0: Thank you very much. This was fun, guys. Appreciate it. And thank you for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer right now.
5: warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer,
2: please visit CNBC.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.